Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Putting the Horse First. I'm your host. My name is Isabeau Salas, and my guest today is Alyssa Dietrich. She is a horse trainer in Pennsylvania. Did I pronounce your last name right? Yes, you did. Okay, good. All right. And what is the name of your business? It is Face Up Training and Cult Starting. All right, cool. So yeah, the theme of my podcast is putting the horse first. So before we start talking about that, Alyssa, maybe you can just tell us how long you've been into horses and how you got into horses in the first place. Of course. So if you ask my parents, they'll tell you I was basically born on the back of a horse. Um, I have been into horses before I could even pronounce the word. So when I was seven years old, they started me in riding lessons and I have been riding ever since. So I'm 27 years old now. So I've been riding for about 20 years now. Um, and I got into specifically training probably about five or so years ago, just working with my own first horse that I got off the track and restarting him as a hunter jumper. And then later when I got my first Mustang, she was only a year and a half old. So I couldn't ride her at the time. And Mm -hmm. I connected with a natural horsemanship trainer to start Mm -hmm. learning about groundwork and the basics of that. And I just took that and ran with it. And I've been working in kind of the natural horsemanship aspect of things ever since. Cool. Tell me, how did it go with your uh, your Mustang? How, how's your Mustang doing now? She is fabulous. So she turned six a couple days ago. And nice. she is my hunter jumper. We do cross country, trail riding, ranch riding. She has been all over the country. Um, so... Two years ago, I made a trip out to Colorado where I spent two months studying under the reigning trainer, Josh Lyons, and becoming a certified trainer. So she went out to Colorado with me along with one of my other Mustangs, and we had a blast out there. Wow. I'm dying to ask, how much work was that? Were you basically working seven days a week then there? Uh, So it was five days a week. It was a certification course. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like going to college, horse college. So it was five days a week. So we did two weeks of like basically 9 a.m. to 4 o'clock p.m. Mm-hmm. Just riding, training, learning how to start horses, that kind of thing. Then we had mm-hmm. a two-week break, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we were able to stay out there with Josh and keep working with him and watching other students in a different program thing. And then after the two week break, it was a, another two weeks of very intense riding every day for six or more hours and just training, training, training. So you ate, slept, breathed training horses. So let's see, it's 2023 now. I worked uh, when I was turning 30. I worked for a breeding farm in New Jersey, and this was when John Lyons was out and about, and he would get like a a 12 VHS box set of horse training tapes, (laughs) and he was going around doing clinics, and I worked for a farm who wanted, they wanted natural horsemanship used to train their horse, so I don't know how she found this guy, but he was out west somewhere, and he would come to New Jersey and teach a group of us every three months, and he'd stay for like three or five days. 
And we'd be out there literally like from eight or nine o'clock in the morning until nine or 10 o'clock at night. He'd just keep teaching until we all like walked away or fell asleep in the chairs. <laughs> he just kept going and going. And that was really, I mean, that was probably the first time I had ever had that much intense horse learning in one spot. It is very useful to have that much intense learning at one time where you can really start to get a grip on concepts. That's very helpful. And it's amazing the amount of progress that you can make when you are working that intensely, especially with somebody who really knows their stuff. And who's really like, the guy I was working with, he's like, you people are going to get this. <laughs> I'm going to make it so there's no way you cannot understand it. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it It definitely is huge with that kind of intense training because one of the horses yeah. I took out with me was a completely unhandled 10-year-old Mustang gelding. He had just been rounded up like six months prior. I oh, only cool. had him for about three weeks before we left for Colorado. Still couldn't touch him, but mm-hmm. I was riding him, walk, trot, canter by time we left Colorado. So that was cool. So I could ask tons of questions about that. So was it a very stepwise process or were there some ups and downs in getting that horse going? Was he difficult to figure out or was are you able, did they give you tools that were, you got one step so good that when you went to took the next step, it was just definitely there. So I was very blessed with a wonderful Mustang gelding. He, I still, his name is Knock. So when I got him, he was a little difficult at first because he mm-hmm. was a little bit of a kicker and he did not want me touching him, did not want me near him. So the initial touching process did a little while. It took me 30 days to be able to get my hands on him. But once I was able to touch him, all uphill progress from there. I mean, he was what I would consider a very easy Mustang to work with. He, he trust me. He was basically putty in my hands. You know, it took the 30 days to be able to touch him from 30 days after that. I was on his back riding him with no issues whatsoever. So it was very nice to kind of have Josh there pushing me to push him mm-hmm. and to not be so cautious or afraid that I was going to mess the horse up or push him too far and end up in an accident of some kind. It was, you know, Josh was back there every step of the way going, no, Alyssa, it's okay. Come on, go. Like, he's not going to do anything. Get on him. It's okay. He's a good horse. And really have that encouragement the whole time. Um, Yeah. The guy I used to work with used to tell us to don't be afraid of the life in the horse. They're alive. They're going to move. They're going to look at stuff. Not necessarily a problem just because the horse is not a zombie. It's not like you had a fantastic experience two months out there. If you could sum it up, what is it that you think that you learned? I would say the biggest thing I took away that just really stood out to me was Josh would always hammer home that change brings resistance. When you're Mm -hmm. training a horse, you are completely changing their entire lifestyle. And you have mm-hmm. to understand that they're going to kind of resist that at first. You know, some yeah. horses mm-hmm. resist it more than others. And you have to be willing to work through that resistance and understand that resistance in order to help that horse make progress. And that mm-hmm. just 
really changed my whole perspective on things because I'd never thought about it in a way of I am I'm asking this horse to change their entire lifestyle. When you take a pure horse, their thoughts are eat, sleep, drink, herd. And I'm now asking them to alter all of those things to suit my needs, my schedule, my thoughts. And that's hard for them. So I have to be willing to put my own ego and my own thoughts aside so that I can better understand where the horse is coming from. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, that actually, that brings to mind for me a lot of the, um, I've been studying positive reinforcement training for the past several years. And the way it's laid out by people who are big fans of it are that if you just follow the steps, everything should, or people get the impression, there are some positive reinforcement people still trying to sell the idea that there are just very logical steps you need to follow. And if you did the A step right, you should definitely be able to get the B step. And that is, when you're talking about humans doing anything, that is never going to be the case. Like you are always going to go out to that horse, want to do something, and there is about a 99% chance that you're going to be surprised by something, either something or many things. And that is okay. It is perfectly fine that you ran into resistance or you didn't get the result that you wanted. And the ego thing, and that's, I'm on the hunt for a different word. Because when you even say ego, it gets people's egos inflamed. But just giving ourselves permission to go out there and, yes, this happened, this happened, okay, I will come up with a different plan. But not acting like a monk from the Middle Ages, flagellating yourself, saying, oh, my God, it's so wrong. The horse didn't do it, or I didn't do it, or the horse got upset, or I got upset. And it's really hard to try to take it very clinically and say, well, this happened and this happened, and now I will I will alter, and I will go back, and I will do something else, or I will persist, but try to not get upset yourself about it. And that's very, very tricky. When you're dealing in the type of situation you did, you know, you had a dedicated space where your learning was what the point was. You know, the point was you learn how to train these horses. And if things don't go well one day, that's completely fine. Or one moment, the world does not end because you did not get things right. It's hard to get to apply that in a day-to-day situation in, in most bars, in part because there are professionals out there selling this narrative that if you didn't get the result, it was because you didn't do everything beforehand right. And that's kind of, I mean, it may even be true, but it's not helpful, you know? Uh, you know I, would, you, I would argue that it's, that's not true. You know, I, I tell everyone, you know, my clients, I'm like, you can't get disheartened if something isn't working because there is no cookie cutter, one size fits all type of training that will work for every horse. Because just like us, horses are very unique, even though they may be more simplistic than humans, Mm -hmm. they still function in a different way based on their experiences, their personalities, where they came from. So You may have one horse that positive reinforcement works phenomenal for them because they're very food motivated. But then Mm -hmm. you may have another horse like my gelding knock. Positive reinforcement doesn't work for him at all because he doesn't like treats. 
I've tried all different kinds and he doesn't like even if you find a tree he likes, he doesn't always like taking it out of your hand. I could never use positive reinforcement with him because he wasn't motivated by the food. So it it's one of those things where you always have to be flexible in your approach to horses, even the same horse, because they have bad days just like we do. So one method may work one day, and then the next day the horse decides, thanks, I don't want to do this today. And you have to (laughs) rearrange your plans. Horses love making you rearrange your plans. Definitely be a, a mental and an emotional workout. I love to watch the Olympic dressage for the event riders because they invariably have one or two people. They're they're at the Olympics and they're struggling to keep their horse in the ring. They're like Please just let me get through this task without my horse exiting the arena so I can go do cross country. And yeah, even at the top levels, you get people who show up at the horse show and their horse is like, I don't jump water today. And I'm sure there's a good reason, you know, maybe the jump disappears in the decorations in the background. Maybe the horse actually fractured the rib on transport. Like there's so many things. But yeah, I mean, even at the top levels, you get you get challenged a lot. Your character gets gets put to the test a lot about how you can uh, manage what's going to show up today between you and the horse. So if you were going to try to put a definition or what does it mean to you right now uh, to put the horse first in your training program? Putting the horse first in my training program looks like always adjusting what I do to better suit what that horse needs, whether it be for the whole period that they are training with me, if it's just for that day, or even if it's just for the first half hour that we're in the ring, it's constantly altering myself so that I can meet the needs of this horse and help them better progress and better understand and to better stay progressed. Because it's all fine and good if you're training a horse and, oh, look, we've made all this progress. But then all of a sudden they backtrack again for Mm. whatever reason, be it an inconsistency. They go home and, you know, owners just don't keep up with the program or they have a bad day, a bad experience, whatever the case may be. It's all about how can I help this horse progress forward? and stay going forward. All right, that's an excellent definition. I want you to tell everybody what your how they can get in touch with you on social media or what your website is or what kind of services you offer if indeed you are looking for people to reach out to. I am always looking for people to put bread on my table. <laughs> okay, gotcha. I like that. That's a good turn of phrase. Excellent. I quit my full-time EMT job back in May to train full-time. So I, you know... <laughs> I'm always looking for clients to keep my waiting list full. So my business, you can find me on Facebook at Face Up Training and Cult Starting. Mm-hmm. Um, I offer really any type of training. I do groundwork, tune-ups, saddle braking, a lot of track restarts. I ride English and Western, so no discrimination on disciplines at my farm. A big thanks to Alyssa Dietrich for joining me on my podcast. I really appreciate it. In the show notes, I put links to her Facebook page and her website. Thanks for listening.